Good morning, everyone. Welcome again to Sojourn. My name is Dodds, and I'm one of the pastors here. Uh, we're continuing our study of Jesus in the book of John. And this morning, this text is very significant because it deals with Jesus' arrest. This event will begin the very quick descent of Jesus into his suffering, his crucifixion, and his death. And his response to his arrest is something quite, quite worthy of our consideration this morning. Um, for those of you, I mean, I think even for those of you that know me, you may not know this about me, but um, my mother's side of the family is, um, is from upstate New York. And uh, every summer, we, would, we spend some time, usually a few weeks, in a little town um, called Bolton Landing off of Lake George. It's just like a, a sleepy little lake town, kind of like a, like a Cape Cod or a, for, you, for you Jaws fans out there, really, of which I hope all of us are Jaws fans. Um, if you haven't seen that, shame on you. But, um, but Amity, Amity Island, if you remember, just to give you a picture of what a small sort of lake town that thrives on summer business but then shuts down the other six months of the year because there's snow. Um, we had two houses about 1,000 yards apart, and, um, and every night, usually, my cousins would stay up really late at one house, um, and invariably, I would stay up really late with them, and then I would be forced to walk back to the other house alone in the dark. And that walk was always terrifying for me. Um, Potter Hill Road, the, two, the road that connected the two houses has, had no street lights. And I would walk down the inclined driveway of one house and pass, I remember very vividly, passing the last lamp on the left at the end of this bricked wall. And I would step out into the darkness. It was pitch black. It was creepy. And the road, Potter Hill Road, sloped down. So as you were walking, you felt like you were just walking into this gigantic hole. Occasionally, a car would pass by, would light up the road, and I could see where I was and how far I had to go. But what I wouldn't have given, what I would have given to run that thousand yards and just get it over with. My cousins were wonderful, but I dreaded that walk down Potter Hill Road. The darkness was uncertain. I was always afraid overwhelmed. I w sounds would play tricks on me. I'd get really anxious. And I just, I just wanted to know what was out in the dark. Uncertainty and fear, and the fear of the unknown, it paralyzes all of us. I mean, the fact that we're not completely sure about what's going to happen next week, let alone six months from now, just creates a ton of anxiety in all of us. And we offset that by planning. We, we plan for the future. We fill our calendars. We map out possibilities. We get all the details we can. We make a plan, and we have a backup plan for that plan, and a backup plan for the backup plan, and a contingency plan for that plan that doesn't work. We get all of our questions answered before we make any big decisions, as we should. But really, all of us, we fight life's variables through knowing and planning as much as we can. And wrapped up 
in the core of that, in the core of that planning, in the core of all, all those answered questions is really the hope, is really, the, is really a wish that we have that we wouldn't just endure uncertainty like, a, like being faced with a firing squad, but that we would stand confident in uncertainty. That we, might, that we might face the future and the unknown as come what may people. In the Gospel of John, Jesus himself has something to say about the unknown, and his response is something that we need to hear. And before we jump into the text, I think it's really important just that we, that we actually engage with the text this way. Let's, let's set the scene. The Feast of Passover is about to take place in Jerusalem. So this was a a feast that the Jews celebrated that commemorated God saving them from slavery in Egypt. So this was a huge deal. These, These were people who were celebrating God came to us and he chose us and he pulled us out of slavery and he called us his and he said, I'm gonna be your God and I'm gonna take care of you and you're gonna know me and you're gonna be free. This is what they're celebrating. They're celebrating God saved us. So it would have been night. It would have been a full moon in the sky on the, on the eve of, of Passover in the city of Jerusalem and all the outlying areas would have been alive with just like activity and firelight. There would have been an all-night celebration going on. Locals and visitors from surrounding areas would have been coming in to celebrate. They would have been ecstatic. There would have been laughter and music and dancing and singing. There would have been children running through the streets, people hugging and cheering and toasting all through the night. And at this very same time, Jesus was with the disciples in the upper room, which was just a place that was just on the south side of the temple wall, just outside, when he hands a piece of dipped bread to Judas, the one who was going to betray him, and he said to him, what you are going to do, do it quickly. And Judas leaves immediately, and he goes to the local authorities, and he says, you want Jesus? Follow me. And after a number of parting words in the priestly prayer that we looked at last week, Jesus and his disciples leave. So let's read now in verse 1. Let's pick up there. When Jesus had spoken these words, those high priestly prayer words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden, which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who betrayed him, also knew the place For Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? This is very important. The band of soldiers that John mentions would have been a detachment, a Roman detachment of soldiers. We have a ton of people here for the celebration of Passover. We need added security in case there are any riots. We need crowd control. So they had a Roman detachment there. But get this, this would have been roughly 700 soldiers. 
plus the Jewish officers who were temple police and the Pharisees, and we're talking about possibly a thousand men armed with weapons and torches to capture one man. Can you get a sense of how afraid of Jesus they were? Of how unpredictable they they thought he was? We're going to need everyone possible. We don't know what to expect. I would say, I mean, along with that, the disciples, imagine what the disciples would have felt. So they're doing some math. There's 12 of us. Oh, no. We've been completely overwhelmed. And I would say all of us know what it means or what it feels like to be completely overwhelmed. I know that we're a young church, Sojourn, but we, in this room, we know what it is to be overwhelmed in our marriages, in our jobs, in our relationships, with money, with life, with babies, with houses, with dating. I know a number of you in the room, or a few of you in the room, have, are in the process or starting the process or have gone through the process of fostering or adopting. You know what it's like to be overwhelmed. Not to mention depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, pain. All of those things are in this room because we're in this room. Faced with a thousand soldiers, the disciples would have been undone. This is the end. This is the end for us, which is how we feel sometimes in the face of insurmountable odds. John says Jesus and the disciples regularly went to this garden and that Judas knew about it and would have known to, would have known to check there. So if Jesus wanted to escape, if that was his intent, was to escape, then they, they should have been, and he should have been anywhere but the Garden of Gethsemane. Why would Jesus, who had regularly avoided capture, and we see this in a number of places in the Gospels of how he slipped away in a crowd when he was being, uh, when he was, when they, when they were trying to get their hands on him and capture him and arrest him, and he would slip away or he'd disappear or he'd retreat. But why would he now essentially welcome his capture? John says it right here, because he knew what was going to happen. Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward. See, Jesus was not seeking to avoid arrest. He was actually seeing to it that it happened. He confidently steps out in front of a horde of a thousand men and says, who are you looking for? See, they come with torches and they come with with weapons and clubs and he steps out from the shadows and says, I'm not going to play a cat and mouse game. Who are you looking for? See, when, when we're overwhelmed, when you and I, when we're overwhelmed, we, we're overwhelmed because the unknown paralyzes us. We're just like the disciples. But Jesus is unafraid and confident. 
See, what John is asking us, what what John is, is saying to us through the text is he's saying that we need to fully trust Jesus rather than our circumstances or our plans. He is asking us to trust Jesus for certainty, not our plans or our circumstances for certainty. And that is so hard. Because we trust our plans and we take hope in our circumstances. I know that many of us are waiting for something to happen in order for us to feel more certain about the future. Well, when I, when I finally get married, then, then I can start hoping. Then I can take confidence in the future. When I get the job, I can start taking confidence in the future. When we finally get our baby, I can take confidence in the future. As long as I hold this job, I can take confidence in the future. And I know that in the midst of feeling overwhelmed, to hear trust Jesus probably feels like doing nothing. The disciples were probably wondering, what do we do now? And we're wondering, how can we actually trust Jesus? He's going to tell us. Let's look at verse 5. Jesus said, whom do you seek? And they answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus said to them, I am he. And Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. And when Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. Throughout most of this series, we have looked at Jesus' I am statement. We've looked at him say, I am the bread of life. I'm the light of the world. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the resurrection and the life. In all these instances, the words that Jesus is using are the Greek words, I am, I am. And the only other instances that these words are used are in the Old Testament, which is the portion of the Bible that was written before Jesus arrived here on earth. And the words, I am, I am, speak exclusively to the name of God. So what Jesus has been doing, what Jesus has been saying, and what he is saying right now at his arrest, he's saying it to the, he's saying it to the soldiers, to the disciples, and to us, is he's saying, I am God. I am the God who has always been I am. I am the God that will always be I am. I am the fulcrum around which existence itself swings. I am the beginning and the end. And in me, everything exists and holds together. Now just picture that scene. He says, who are you looking for? Jesus of Nazareth. I am he. And bam, they fall. A thousand men fall to their feet at Jesus just declaring, I am. They had him outnumbered, and yet they were terrified of him. Now, why do we need to hear that? Why do we need to know that about Jesus Because when Jesus says that he's deity, he is offering 
the ultimate certainty. He is offering and expressing his greatest power. I am over all of this. He is offering himself. And we need that. Because being, because being alive is hard. Because hearing that your company is in the midst of layoffs is scary. Because having your first baby and seeing the stress that it puts on your marriage is hard. Because trying for years to have a baby with no results is devastating. And because not, not being married when you really, really want to be married crushes you. I know that we want answers. I want answers. We all want something in the midst of uncertainty. We want something to happen. We want something to change. We want to hear something that can give us the confidence that tomorrow is going to be okay. That right now is going to be okay. And most of the time we really do believe that a straight answer will do it. But the problem is, is that it won't. It will never satisfy just to have an answer. Just to have a change of circumstance. Because when you, when we're gripped with anxiety, when we are completely overwhelmed by what's happening in our lives, and maybe we're alone crying in our bedroom, we don't need an answer. Here's a good question for us to ask. What answer or circumstance am I waiting on in order to be more confident in what the future holds? What am I waiting on in order that I might be confident in what the future holds? There is a feeling that we all have that we're almost to the place where unknowns and fear of the unknown will be part of the past. It starts out small. How many times have we just said this? Yeah, man, once we get through this weekend, it's just smooth sailing. Just need to get through this next month. And yeah, the next month's going to be rough, but after that, then it's going to be better. We play it small with that, but we also play it on the big scale. Once I graduate, that's when life is really going to begin. That's when I can start really flying. Okay, so I'm graduate. As soon as I get married, then I'm going to really, I'm going to really, can I get my feet underneath me? Okay, as soon as we have our first baby, as soon as I get the promotion. You know, I don't know if I like my job. I think I need a new job. You know, I've been here long enough. I, I, as soon as they recognize the work I've been doing, then, then I'll really feel, and we do this over and over again. We feel like just around the bend, just over this hill, just around the corner, and somehow it's going to land, and it just feels like smoke. And we should stop kidding ourselves that really all we need is just a change of circumstance or an answer. We need to know this. We need to know what Jesus 
is saying that he stands over it all and he says, I am. I know. I see. I understand. And I have got this. Because when your marriage is coming off of the hinges, you don't just need your spouse to stop being an idiot. That may help. You need to hear Jesus saying, I am, I know, I see, I'm there, and I've got this. You need a transcendent creator over you, assuring you of his presence. The certainty of him, not the certainty of the circumstance. Jesus is saying to us, See, I'm not just the God who's going to be there for you when it's rough. I'm the God who knows what's going to happen in six months from now, in two years from now, in 10 years from now. And in fact, I don't just know it. I'm already there. And I'm orchestrating all of it. In the middle of your depression, he is I am. In the middle of your exhaustion, he is I am. In the middle of your broken marriage, he is I am. In the middle of your singleness, your anxiety, your addiction, your layoff, he is I am. And Jesus proves this reality as he claims those who belong to him. So let's keep moving and look at verse 7. So we ask them again. Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. And Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have lost not one. When Jesus spoke these words, he was saying something in the moment that was profound but his words are spoken across eternity and they apply directly to us right now. Today, this moment, Jesus knowing all that would happen to him, so his arrest, his false arraignment, his suffering, his crucifixion, his death, the fact that his disciples will leave and scatter, he knew all of it and he says this, you take me, and you let these men go. Paul said it this way in Galatians. It was the Lord Jesus Christ who gave himself for our sins to deliver us from the present evil age according to the will of our God and Father. See, Jesus wasn't giving himself over just so that the disciples would be freed from momentary suffering. He gave himself over in order that they would be freed from evil, that you and I would be freed from evil for all eternity. So when Jesus went to the cross, he didn't just pay for sins, he defeated evil. And he bought something, he bought something, he bought you. And according to Peter's letter, he didn't buy you with money. 
or things that lose their value and tarnish. He bought you with his perfect self. There was an exchange. You take me and you let them go. And that's why he can't lose anyone that the Father has given to him. That's why he can never lose you. Jesus welcomed his own capture because he knew that then you, that we could be given freely to the Father. Because the joy of claiming you was greater than the shame and anguish of the cross. And in the midst of all you're facing, whatever it is, Jesus says to the Father, take me so that they can go free. And you need to hear that today because many of us are worried that God has moved on from us. There's a play by Samuel Beckett called Waiting for Godot about two men endlessly waiting for this man named Godot who never comes. And Vladimir, one of the characters, asks the other Estragon at one point, did I ever leave you? And Estragon replies simply, you let me go. See, Estragon knows that Vladimir never physically left him, but he feels abandoned. You didn't leave me, but you let me go. Maybe you're feeling that today. God, I know you're there. I've been told you'll never leave, but I feel like you have moved on from me. You really believe that he's forgotten you. You need to hear this, the weight of Jesus' words here. He says to you and to the universe, if you're mine, I will never let you go. I bought you, you're mine. I'll never leave and I'll never let you go ever. It's my work that secures you. Your work can never do, undo the cross. Your sin, our sin, can never undo the cross. Let's look back at Galatians 1.4 and look at who the Apostle Paul says orchestrated the death of Jesus. It says, according to the will of our God and Father. See, God the Father was the one who orchestrated sending his son to the cross. And it was for a terribly important purpose. So let's read in verse 11. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, put your sword in its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? You know the, you know the sword that Peter draws? Commentary said that it was like a dagger. A thousand men. I got this. <laughs> 
Everybody calm down. Isn't that how we feel in the face of all that's going on in our lives right now sometimes? A thousand men and I've got a dagger. Yeah. And Jesus says, no, Peter, I know I told you that you would deny me three times. You don't have to prove to me that you're in with me. You're mine. I hold you. He holds you. See, the cup that Jesus refers to is the cup of God's accumulated anger toward all that is evil, wicked, and wrong, and terrible in existence. Whenever this cup is referred to in the whole of Scripture, it's this picture of a foaming cup of, of what Jeremiah calls well-mixed wine that God intends to pour on all things and all people that oppose him. And there on the cross, Jesus emptied God's cup of anger completely. That's why Paul can say that there is no condemnation left and all the Father's condemnation was exhausted on the Son. 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul summarizes it this way, for our sake, he made him to be sin. God made Jesus to be sin, the one who knew no sin, so that in him, that in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. So when Jesus was hanging on the cross, he was drinking. He was drinking in all of God's judgment towards sin and wickedness in the world. And it was in this moment that Jesus became all sin and all that was wrong. And he entered the full darkness of uncertainty as he was separated from the Father. And he drained the cup of God's wrath so that he could extend the cup of God's love and mercy to us. Because of Jesus, that is now the only cup left to drink. But here's something important. Jesus didn't die on the cross so that we would never know fear, so that we would never know uncertainty or pain. He died on the cross so that when we are fearful, when we face uncertainty, and when we are in deep pain, that we would know him and be made like him in suffering. He says it to his disciples in Matthew. He says, no, the cup of wrath is coming to me. You will have a cup of suffering, but I'm taking the wrath so that in your suffering, you will know God even more. See, God orchestrated it all. He allowed Judas' betrayal for certain. He allowed Jesus' arrest for certain. He poured out his wrath on the Son for certain, and he bought you in the process for certain. You don't need to know what's going to happen in six months. You don't need to know what's going to happen in six months. I don't, I don't, I don't, whatever you are facing, you don't need to know. You need to know that he is. 
a lot of us are walking down Potter Hill Road. And we're anxious, and we're afraid, and we're unsure, and it's dark, and we can't see our hands in front of our faces. I'm there with you. My, my wife is pregnant with our third child, and there have been some complications that, that make the future a little hazy, and a lot of things are coming in the fall that I don't really have a lot of answers for. But we don't, you and I, we don't need an answer. We don't, we don't, I promise I don't cry every sermon. Um, we don't need to know what's in the darkness. We need to know the one who, who says that, that to him darkness is light. We need to know the presence of the God who will never lose us. It's the greatest certainty that we need, and it's available in Jesus. It is Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, there, Lord, in this room, Lord, a lot of us, our heads are, are still running right now through, through what we're dealing with, what we're going through in our lives. Lord, a lot of us are just, our circumstances are so overwhelming that we can't stop thinking about them. And it's like, it's like walking down Potter Hill Road and just feeling like, am, am I walking more and more into a hole? God, we need to know. We need to know the assurance of your presence and that, God, that in the midst of the darkness, you are still saying, I am that in Jesus, we know that we will never be lost, that we can never be taken from you. And Father, we need to know, God, that no matter what is coming, no matter what's happening this November in our country, no matter what's happening in the next two years, in our own homes, in this city, God, that you are saying over and over and over, I am, I am. God, I pray for us all that you would make us people who are not concerned with just enduring uncertainty and getting through, but that we would know that in the midst of our suffering that you are doing incredible work and you are proving yourself faithful over and over, day by day. And God, it makes me, just makes me think of that Lamentations verse of the fact that your steadfast love always is. It's like a waterfall that continues to pour out.
God, I pray that for sojourn in our parishes, in our, in our lives, in our marriages, our friendships, our relationships, that we, that Lord, that you would make us so assured of you. That Lord, come what may, we can say that you are. Please help us. We love you. We thank you. And we need you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Good morning, everyone.